Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. We want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Healing Insight. Healing Insight is an acupuncture and holistic medicine clinic on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senia May and her team of practitioners can help patients with everything from anxiety to pain relief to fertility and so much more. Now, I've personally been seeing Senia for several years, and I'm now part of her membership program, which means I have a standing monthly appointment. Each month, we decide together which areas of my health to focus on. Sometimes it's an energy boost. Sometimes it's more acute, like sinus issues. Other times we focus on boosting immunity. Several of my family members go to Healing Insight, and I really do credit Senya as being a huge part of how I'm able to balance work, family, and other projects, and overall, the most important part, maintain good health. Now, Senya can also help you work through many health issues over Skype or Zoom calls. And Senya was also our featured guest on one of our most listened to episodes episodes of Best to the Nest. It's episode 25, simply titled Anxiety. I really encourage you to download that episode if you haven't already and go to HealingInsightOnline.com. That's HealingInsightOnline.com to find out more about Senya and her team. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Never has the nest been more important. We keep saying that. We've said that for three episodes, and I have a feeling we're going to be saying it for more. Here's the headline. Coronavirus live updates half of humanity under lockdown orders. Wow. Half of humanity, roughly 4 billion people have been told to stay in their homes but some U.S. states have resisted such, such measures. New job report shows staggering losses are likely to get worse. It goes on to say that the U.S. job market is crumbling. Wall Street opens lower. And it just goes on and on and on, Elizabeth. And this is where we are. And it's, it is, I don't even think the word overwhelming is big enough anymore. Yeah. It's overwhelming, and I think what's happening is you're talking about the headlines in terms of the perspective of what's going on outside of homes. I saw some statistics this morning that said that 19% of Americans are feeling severely, like a, like in a state of mental illness, and then 45% are feeling mentally stressed and anxious. And I think what's happening then is we're finding out that with all of this information, and everything that we're trying to take in and manage, I really feel like if you don't have faith in yourself, your family, and in something bigger than all of us, it is difficult to get through something like this. And so faith is the topic today that we wanted to discuss. And this kind of came off of our conversation last week where we were discussing this idea of motherhood and how back in the day, 100 years ago, and, and then even before that, 
motherhood wasn't all about mothers doing everything for their children and becoming the be all end all. And mothers didn't feel the ultimate responsibility for the success or failure or even life of their child, that God's hand was seen as something that was just part of life and part of everything. And so I've been thinking about that a lot since we had that conversation and I wanted to talk more about faith. And then I thought, who do I know that talks better about faith? He's married to you, Marjorie. It was wildly convenient. <laughs> yes, it is. So joining us today, you heard a little bit in the background, is Reverend Dr. Ian Punnett. We love calling them. Oh, that's that what I house. call my dad too, the Reverend Doctor. Reverend Dr. Ian Punnett is also the author of How to Pray When You're Pissed at God. And I am lucky to be married to him because he's the most faithful man I know. Welcome, Ian. Oh, thank you. In fact, uh, remember, too, we've got a, a new book of faith coming up later on this year from from a, a collaboration with a uh, a rabbi from Miami who was originally born in Israel and a uh, Pakistani-born Muslim scholar. And we wrote a book together on Moses and leadership. So it's a, it's a book on uh, mosaic leadership for millennials, for the people who will be taking over some tips on uh, on how to be better leaders uh, based on the life of Moses. Okay, I love and that I like- idea. And Moses started in a basket. I mean, you really can't start more humbly yes. than that. No. Well, I have. Um, I wanted to start out by uh, reading to both of you something that I found in the Washington Post, which I think is interesting. It's a statistic about organized religion. And it said Christianity has been rapidly declining in the United States while the number of Americans who are religiously unaffiliated is growing. Gallup polls have found a massive three-decade fall in confidence in organized religion from as high as 66% in the mid-1980s to 36% in 2019. And I wanted to read that because it's something, yeah, it's kind of shocking, isn't it? 66% in the mid-1980s to 36% in 2019. Those are the numbers for organized religion. And I wanted to read that to everybody because I think we have to really delineate between organized religion and and faith. And this is something that Ian and I talk about quite a bit. And, and we were talking about it last night, and I thought you brought up an interesting point, Ian. I'm terrible at religion. I'm not good at religion. I, I happen to live very calmly in faith. And I walk in faith, but I have to remember to try to be a good religious person because religions require certain uh, adherence to rules and then to practices, liturgical practices. And to me, sometimes those aren't always consistent with faith because for me, faith is something which I'm always searching to do effortlessly. There was a call from the prophet that said to pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean you just sit in a room and you sit in a chair and you pray, but it means that in everything you do, you stay connected with the very, uh, the atonement that you're always seeking in prayer and that no matter what your actions are, they're consistent with your beliefs. So Ian, when you hear those numbers of the fall in organized religion, is that shocking to you? Is that not surprising to you? What, I mean, what, how does that resonate with you? I think it, I think it represents a lot of failures from from the church if we're looking at just christian churches and i think it also represents in other faiths as well um, in other traditions an inability to perhaps continue to make relevant the ritualistic practices of these traditions and why it is that we do them and i think that you know you can look at some of the priest scandals you can look at the financial scandals of various churches and you can say, well, that's some of it. People became very disaffected or disconnected to their church. But another piece to that, too, is you have to remember there was a time 
in America when church worship was perhaps at its peak, partly because you were required to attend if you wanted to do business in town. You had to be seen. You had to make those connections in church for people to know that you were a good person to do work with. And we're we're not there. That's not where we live anymore. So I think that represents another reason for the decline is that there's no compelling financial reason. Plus, there's all sorts of ways to contribute charitably to society without necessarily having to do it through your church. And there was a day when about two-thirds of all hospitals were only funded by churches and by synagogues, by different traditions. And so that's why you have New York Presbyterian Hospital, and that's why you have these different Lutheran and Methodist churches that had sponsored wonderful hospitals, but they long since gave that up to the government. And that was a connection, again, to people where on Sunday morning, the women of the church would get together and roll bandages, or they would uh, they would do collections for specific new pieces of equipment that they needed for the hospital that kept that connection between why are we a people and what is our purpose. Well, even if you look at the Catholic tradition of education, sure. that if I grew up in Chicago and there was truly, Elizabeth, a Catholic school about every 10 blocks. And so it was such a part of the fabric of the city for me and the fabric of my life in terms of that was my community. And I think that I think that's a loss that people probably feel now in this time of crisis is that loss of community. If I belong to a church right now, now, there would be lots of things I would be doing or being called upon to do as part of a religious community. But we are where we are in terms of organized religion, which I think brings us back to faith that one doesn't necessarily, at least what we were talking about, Ian, one doesn't necessarily have to depend on the other or does it? Well, ER's a PK, you're a preacher's kid, so you know perhaps better than anybody because you've seen the inside working of some churches, not necessarily your dad's, that one definition of church is the place that people go to hide from God. That is very true. That's very true. I grew up in a church. I grew up, literally, I grew up there. I mean, I lived there, basically, because when I was a kid, we didn't have <laughs> child care. And my my mom would work evenings a lot. And my dad would come and get us after we got home from school and then bring us to Arby's where we would get five for $5 roast beef sandwiches. No one gets a soda and one curly fry to share. <laughs> and then we would go to church and we would be there until 1030 at night. My dad, I mean, we would have blankets and pillows in his office and we would play space quirks on his Apple IIc computer that he had in there. And it was like, you have to fend for yourself and this is where you live, essentially. And my parents were both PKs. Three of my four grandparents were PKs. My parents wow. met because... My dad was in the seminary with my mom's older brother. So that's how they met. I mean, so it's all of these things. And and it is interesting how I have always felt like faith isn't really something, you know, I don't want to sound flippant about this. I don't necessarily feel like it's something I have to work on all the time because it is so just ingrained in who I am. That being said, I still think faith is a journey. And I think it's always something that you're thinking about and and moving forward in, but I sort of take for granted that it's just within me. That being said, I have tried to join a church several times as an adult and, and have been unable to sign on the dotted line and pull the trigger simply because being part of that community 
doesn't feel like the right thing for me, which gets more complicated as you have kids and, and, um, as, as you kind of figure out how do you want them to be raised. And I think that is a, that's sort of the struggle I had as well, Elizabeth, is I know I benefited from belonging to a church, but as an adult, I could not, I could, I, I had trouble joining as well. And, and that does get tricky when you have kids because you know the benefits of being a part of that community. But when you're, when you're grown up, you also see the other side of what you may not be able to adhere to. But it go, I'm interested though, Elizabeth, and when you talk about faith is sort of woven in, into you. So for you, can you lean on faith in times like this and feel that sense of peace that all will be well? Because I think that's what to me, what faith represents and, and Ian, certainly you can step in and give a better definition. That idea that sort of all hell is breaking loose, even before COVID in times of financial crisis or in times of great sickness within a family or divorce or any of those things. The idea that I am cared for, I will be okay. I'm not in charge. There's something greater than myself. That deep feeling Ian, when I have watched you over the years, you, you have that, and it gives you a sense of peace. Elizabeth, is that the kind of faith that you have as well? I do, but I also just don't have that pressure that all will be well. I, I mean, I just think all will be. And oh, so wow. for me, that, and that might just come from, I grew up in a conservative Lutheran church, and so there wasn't really this focus on faith as a path to happiness. And, and I don't mean that in terms of that that's a bad thing. It's, it wasn't like this constant search for happiness. It's just this sort of peace with what will be. If you grow up in a Lutheran church like I did, you have been talking about your funeral since the day that you were born. I mean, my dad told me when this crisis hit, he started to say, I've already been choosing the hymns. The hymns are chosen. So, and, and he's definitely taking precautions in this COVID crisis, but not nearly as many as I think he should be taking. And it is because right. there is a faith. It, it is not that all will be well. It is just that all will be. And that at the end, what you have coming next is okay and wonderful. Lutherans tend to look at the afterlife as even better than the life, which is something that I, I think... We still need to love a, the life. <laughs> there's not, they're not alone in that. There's a lot of people who believe in some Christian traditions that if you're really happy, you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, there's a reason why, uh, it, there are so many things that in certain churches they push to become illegal in society and they want to go out and make that a law for everybody to have to follow because there's nothing more miserable than somebody sitting there seeing somebody else who doesn't have to follow the same rules. They hate that. So, yeah. you know, I think there's a, I, I think that there is, this also represents an appreciation for the individual, a growth of the individual in time and a feeling that one can get nourishment and fulfillment outside of one hour on Sunday morning, that it's possible to do that. And in that way, I kind of always, as Marjorie sort of referred to vaguely, but I kind of frame everything sort of biblically. And in the case of something like this, I look at the word fear differently than most people do. I don't fear much. I mean, I would fear 
my child running across the street. I would fear, you know, I, I would might have a, a nightmare about something like that. But in general, I always look at fear in terms of the biblical concept, which was respect. When you say fear the Lord, it didn't mean cowering in a corner. It meant respect the Lord. So I respect COVID. I respect tornadoes. I respect nature. And we live in a beautiful, natural world. But that comes with some downsides. And there have always been flus. And there have always been viruses and germs. And this is something which comes because they also serve a purpose in the greater biosphere that we live in. So I, I respect them, but I don't fear them. I don't let them take over my psyche in the sense of like I'm sitting around trying to outplay them or see if I can be 20 steps ahead of it. I, I, I try to do the practical things without losing sight of the fact that I just need to respect the, the danger that certain things present. So when you're looking so, at this situation now, Ian, and, and where we're at, which is really unprecedented in our lifetime, and, and going back to those numbers that right. Marjorie was saying of, did you say half of humanity? <laughs> is that it? I think it, I, yeah, it was something like uh, four billion people. I think people. I heard I it and tried to not remember, and so then now here we are, but is under... Here it is, half of humanity, Elizabeth, half yes. of humanity. So half of humanity people. is staying home. I, I don't think we've ever seen that throughout history, but... But why do we think that's bad? Right. I mean, I mean, what what we have to think is a longer range of what good could come from this. Mm-hmm. How might families be positively impacted by the amount of time that they're spending together? How How will a generation be positively shaped by realizing that there are invisible dangers all around? How might we, how might society improve in the way in which we care for others. And I think that's so much of what the faith experience is about. It's not, it, it's getting outside of thinking about oneself, but always remembering that somebody has it worse. And whatever we can do at any time to make, to lessen somebody else's suffering, well, then we've lessened the suffering in the world. Okay, that feels good because that's just one thing instead of like well, how, when we, when we were talking about how overwhelming this can feel, just lessening the suffering of one person. Yeah. Every day, just finding one thing to do. And that's just a start. And then find five sometimes and find other ways because it, it takes the focus off ourselves and the fact that we, we feel limited by what I could do if I weren't in the house. Well, what can you do in the house? What can you do that's within your power right now that you're not doing? It's like the old rabbinical expression, right? A baby's cry uh, is God's way of saying that life must go on. And mm-hmm. so... We must. And in that big view, all it takes is one baby's cry to know that that's our obligation is to make sure that we're holding up our end of the bargain with the divine to make things better for that baby as the baby grows. You know, it's as I listen to you talk about this, Elizabeth. So when Ian and I were first married, we were so, so, so broke. And he just never minded. It was, he was never afraid of it. He never thought it was a permanent situation for us. I mean, we literally had a, a coin jar where we would throw our coins and when we had enough, we would go to a movie. And, and one year we needed a, a new phone and they were offering one at a car dealership if you took a test drive of a car. <laughs> you could get a new phone. And that guy didn't stop calling us for three months after we got our new phone and didn't buy a car. And you were like, we paid the price for this phone. Yeah, it did. we went for the drive. We did. We, we just needed the phone. We just got to be honest with you. We just needed the phone. We desperately needed the phone. But it was, it was that idea of lessen the suffering. And 
in the midst of all of that, and we just graduated from college and it was, it was fine. It's just, I was super young and I hadn't really experienced life on my own in this way before. And so I was just riddled with fear about everything. Are we going to make our way? Have we done the right thing? Are we living in the right city? All of those things. And I just remember Ian used to do the kindest things for people and he would take sort of the little bit of money we had and he would do something nice for somebody. And I would look at him like, what are you doing? What are you doing? We cannot, we can't afford this. We can't do this. And it was that idea of it'll be. You can't afford not to. You can't afford not to. Because that's paying it forward. Yeah, it's paying it forward. But I think what I learned from that, it took me years. What I learned from that is the idea of, Fear is paralyzing. Yeah. Fear is is personality forming. Fear is suffocating. And I think that in this time when we talk about faith, part of Ian's ability to be generous at a time when I felt like we didn't have very much was freeing. And I think at a time like this where we all feel like so much is being taken away from us, that we have to find a way. And I think this goes back again to faith. And Ian, I, I would like you to talk about how you found faith, how it's woven into who you are, because I think it's easy for us to talk about faith in this time of crisis, but having been in crisis before this and not having been a person of faith, you just can't find it. It can't be like, oh my gosh, yeah, something bad's happening. No, please, let rather... faith. please let me be a person of faith. It doesn't work that way. But I do think sort of talking about how it lives in you could could be helpful. I think it's more important to point out how it lives in you and how I love listening to this show because I hear you say so many things that, as you point out, I never would have heard you say in your 20s <laughs> or 30s, and it's where you are now. And yeah. you you did discover it, and you did find it, and maybe you did it by process of elimination, by trying some <laughs> other things. <laughs> didn't work so well. Uh, But when I I listen to the show all the time, to this podcast, it's my favorite podcast. I don't call it what you all call it. I call it my crazy life and my old friend Elizabeth show. So because I listen, I hear, oh, it's my old friend Elizabeth. And then I hear Marjorie talking and I realize this is so interesting. That's that's what she's going through. That's what she's thinking because she doesn't always say those things to me. Yeah. And and then sometimes I just hear things and go, oh, that's why we're living apart. I put that little little comment in a clue bucket. And I'm like, okay, that's right. That's right. Because you you talk about life so differently now than you did. And I just, I listen to that with a great amount of pride. I'm super happy for the way in which you've found this piece that you want to share with other people and that you're being such a great mentor to so many women in particular. But that doesn't, I, I mean, I really am sincerely asking the question of you. <laughs> <laughs> He just I turned it. That, he turned it, Marjorie. This is a look into your marriage. Yes, it is. And I'm not. I'm not taking the turn. I'm right back at him. To the show because I didn't want to come on here and not be as good as Jay Reimers. That was my. That was my great fear. <laughs> you are the second husband to be on the like, Dang! I will never be that good. I will never be that entertaining. Okay, back to the question. It comes down to this: is that sometimes people say to me, "Well, in order to be saved, you have to be born again." And I say to them, well, what if I was born right the first time? What if I was raised by a father that who's kind of a hot mess in so many ways, but he did that one thing right all the time, always put other people in front of him, except for us. 
right? In the house. <laughs> yeah, which is what but, he did wrong. But. but but that's like how it often is with preachers, right? I mean, they, they do things for other people more than they do for their own. And in that sense, <laughs> what do I, what? <laughs> hello. <laughs> Let's talk. So, but I just mean, that's where I, I got that modeling from my dad and from my mom who were very proactive about not just creating an echo effect around us, but always challenging us. So I feel like that was, I've never known a time when I didn't have that faith. I didn't, I know, I never know a time when I didn't, when I didn't pull back. And when I see something else going on wrong around me, I go, wait a second, what can I do to make this better? How can I affect change? I may feel a little bit unstable today, but okay, one night, one night sticks a couple matchboxes under the, the, the table that is my life by helping somebody else. And then afterward, I don't even remember that the table's wobbly. And but, you know, Ian, I think that's an interesting point that you bring up that I think a lot of people don't understand about faith, that faith isn't just following blindly and just going, oh. okay, well, it's God's will. So whatever God's will is, then here we are. Right. It's God's, it, it, there's, everything happens for a reason and God has a plan for everything. I think that can be a real part of the faith process in organized religion that people on the outside go, I don't want to have anything to do with that because that doesn't feel comfortable to me at all. So how do you figure out when you're talking to people and counseling them and then you're working on these books, how do people figure out how to get past that and get to that, that personal relationship and the feeling that you can have of peace and fulfillment if you don't think everything is all about you, but at the same time, you have the power to change things. That's like a dichotomy that's really interesting. Well, I think when people bring up again that idea of salvation after death, and they say, well, so you have to believe X, Y, and Z in order to be saved and have the eternal kingdom. And I say, you know what? I'm banking on the last shall be first. So I got got all my I got all my chips in that bag because I don't mind being last if the last are going to be first. And if I don't have it exactly right, that's okay. But when they, when I feel, when I think about salvation, this is how I think of it is that my personal faith, it may not be saving me a spot in God's heavenly kingdom, but it saves me from being such a horse's ass here on earth. <laughs> and that's the first step. To me, that's the, that's the first battle is to not just be so self-focused or to, to even be just so insecure as to always be feeling like I need something to fill some hole. I don't have that hole to fill. And that's, that's perhaps what that, that, that gives me. But your point about when people look at the church and these platitudes that we tend to throw around, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners might even chime with that idea of everything happens for a reason. I am also not in that camp because I think when we say, what is the reason? Well, the reason is God expects us to pick up the slack. That's the reason. So when something bad happens, it doesn't mean it had to happen. The reason can come from the fact that we provided the the balm for the pain that the other people were in. That's the reason. The reason is that we we looked at a bad situation and we made it better. That's the reason. So does everything happen for a reason? I guess. But I think we are part of that reason, not somebody who's just standing by and watching it like it's on a, like on Netflix or something. And we're like, oh, let's wait for the reason to come up and see why we happen. Right? Is What's that wrong, happening with you, Marjorie? Am I getting it wrong? I'm getting the look on her face like I'm getting it wrong. Am I getting no, it wrong? No, no, no. I think it's, I think not at all. I think that this, it, it goes back to, 
as I'm trying to understand faith, it, it goes back to something so much bigger than just first. And Ian knows this because he lives with me is that I can tend towards awesome. controlling. And so the first piece of faith for me that was difficult was uh, al- allowing the thought that I didn't control my universe. Mm. And so that was a tough thing for me to let go of. But then that second idea, and the, the reason I was quiet there is because faith becomes a much more active sort of service focused idea than just first relinquishing control. It becomes the idea that, that you have to be a part of the process. That if you want to have faith, if you want to feel like things have a reason, you have to be a part of of the solution, as cliche as that sounds. And so I, in, in thinking about COVID. That's, that's what the Bible calls us to do from the opening pages, is to be a part of the solution. Yeah. You know, it really does. It, it, the, the, a lot of people would even offer that, that first question that's asked of God in Genesis is, am I my brother's keeper? And the rest of the Bible is an answer to that question. And that's a big question right now. I mean, I think that's that's the the tricky thing. I I was just having a conversation with our son who was talking about the fact that he, but even in a more scary way, my mom wants to go volunteer. She's called to serve. She's 87. Yeah. And this is such a complicated, it's not like a war effort in one sense. It's not as if a tornado's hit and you can go help dig out your neighbor. Being called to serve, being called to take care of your brothers and your sisters, how do you do that in the middle of this? You can get takeout. That's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's a big part. It is kind of an ideal helping situation if the number one thing that you have the power over is to go pick up some takeout i mean when you say like look ian let's look at the good that's pretty good that's pretty good they bring it out to the car which is even better it was amazing i did curbside the other night and i said hallelujah if this continues my life is in my kids were in the car the gentleman put the bag of the food in my car we said a thank you and then i drove away I said this. Yeah. Is, this this is not bad. This I mean, is phenomenal. I, with, with, the, with regard to your mom, and of course, very much in some ways, my mom too, is that we? I've never been able to tell mom anything like you. I can't. You know, either she's going to do what she's going to do. Right. And and I think, well, what is the purpose of life? Is it to get every single day extended on this planet? Yeah. Or is that is that how we win? We win because we, we get win? the most days. Yeah. Is that it? Or does that call for her to serve? If if you thought about I – mean, we don't want people to to intentionally pass along a disease, but we bless the people who are peacemakers. We bless the people who are providing care. And if that means that that's the last way that I spend my days, providing care to somebody, and I catch something that they have, are there worse ways to go? I mean, it I, – I, I think that's in service. If that's what your mom's really called to do, what's the upside in stopping that? Right. 
It is complicated. I mean, I mean, it's complicated because by staying home, you're helping. I mean, that's that's the truth. And sure. I think yeah. that's the struggle. Even when you look, you know, when we go back to this idea of organized religion and that idea of Sundays and that hour for people, community and faith are so important right now. And those two have so much to do with us having conversations and working together. And yet we're being called to be apart. And I think that's a hard that's a hard truth about this is you're right, Marjorie, when you talk about for a lot of people who are faith filled and who look at life in terms of how can I serve others, there is a real helplessness with this crisis that might not exist with other crises where you can find tangible things that you can do. Whereas now it's, it's sort of, what do I do? And that paralysis of not knowing what to do, I do think causes more fear than being able to rally around a cause and all go, this is what we're doing. Well, you're doing a beautiful thing, both of you, for doing this podcast. But think about this for people who don't have a podcast. What could they be doing? Ten minutes calling up every single person they've ever had a quarrel with, Hmm. settling it. Got the time. You've got the time. (laughs) time. You know, it is true. I've been thinking, too, about just reaching out. You know, I reached out to a couple girlfriends that I used to see a lot when my sister lived in Austin, Texas. And so and they live in Austin. And so I would go when I would visit my sister, I would always see these girls. And then I haven't seen them since my sister moved away. And so I just texted, they just popped into my mind last night and I texted them last night and just said, hey, Austin friends, just wanted to check in. I think you're right about looking for those connections is really important right now. The only thing that we have in terms of not feeling isolated is just finding those connections and then just thanking the heavens that we have technology that allows us to do that, not just your shoddy phone that your car dealer gave you in a cheap move. Right, (laughs) right. Yes. That phone served us well. It did. And he paid dearly for our joy. (laughs) He really thought he had a sale. I do think, um, Ian, a couple of things that you said really resonated with me in terms of faith. And in particular, that idea of not having a void to fill. And I think for me as being raised as a person of faith and understanding that as sort of just, and this is what is, not a this is a what if. It just didn't. This is is Mm. what it is. And that kind of comes from a little bit of like a black and white old school Lutheran mentality is it's not really a question. It just is. And so when you start with that, that is a foundation that is great to have. But I've always felt that, that I, I feel very fortunate that I don't feel like I have this void that I'm constantly searching to fill. And I think there are so many destructive things that come from that. And that is, I mean, addiction, it's, it is a big one. I mean, all of these destructive behaviors that we do to sort of fill that void. And then on the other hand of that, what equally important is the, the deep belief that I can experience and get through pain and Mm -hmm. that I can get through it, that I am strong enough to get through it. And if you have that belief, and that's something that I work really hard at passing on to my children, that you can get through hard things. I'm not trying to shelter you from hard things or just go, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It is, you are strong enough to get through hard things. And when you believe that you have the strength to get through pain, it's amazingly liberating. And that is a faith that you have not only in yourself, but you get that because you believe that there is something bigger than you 
that gives you that strength. And that would really be, I don't I think I've never really like articulated my faith like that. But when you were talking, that's exactly, those are the two greatest benefits to me. That's why I love listening to this show. <laughs> well, I think that's so important, Elizabeth. And I think for people to feel, to really have a sense of this is where we are. This is just where we are. This is what it is and not what if. And I think that would be the difference between me and you and my growth and sort of me and Ian is I think I was plagued by what if, what if, what if, what if. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very destabilizing way to live. And I think that if you, if you do have that, or if, if you're being, if you're listening right now and your life is feeling like it's running in fear that just think about that idea. And you can think again, I had a neighbor just tell me yesterday, Elizabeth, that she was listening to our podcast and what Senya had told us kept running through her mind, which is feet on the ground, feet on the ground, just feet on the ground. Yeah. And that was, that was helpful. So I think the one, two combo of this is what it is and be generous as Ian was talking about and feet on the ground, simple things can help you help everybody get through this. I hope we don't have to fear the future we have to respect it and yeah. we have to know everything's always going to be different. We can't, we can't, our prayers shouldn't be about keeping things just the way we like it. It should be opening us up to how we're going to adapt when things change. Okay. That's, I the mean, my prayers, my prayers every day are, are, it's not to, it's not to boss God around. It's to share exactly where I am at this moment, knowing that if I believe in an omniscient God, God already knows what I'm thinking anyway, so I'm not hiding anything. <laughs> it's it's to be very clear about what I'm feeling and then to work through it toward the place I want to be in and what I want to return to. And that, to me, is what we're all the challenge we're faced with every day. What more can we do by the time we our head hits our pillow that we look back on and go, okay, that wasn't great. But that was better. And then tomorrow's going to be another day. Tomorrow's going to be another day. Hey, Ian, what were you telling us about a baby's cry? A baby's cry, as the rabbis say, a baby's cry is God's way of saying life must go on. Why do you ask? Oh, why do I ask, Elizabeth? I think you guys ask because we are about to hear a few more baby's cries in our house. Because this is the day that I'm really excited to share with you guys that Rhymer's baby number three is on the way. <laughs> Who would have thought that would happen? Well, I didn't because it was an accident. But alas, here we are. <laughs> was it an accident? So what, you were raking or something and you fell over? How did that happen? How was that? I know. You slip on the ice? It's really shocking how these things can happen. But um, yeah, we're really oh. excited. We have baby number three on the way this fall. And it was not something that we planned, but we are really happy and overjoyed. And I think just feeling like the same way that we felt about each of the other babies is we just can't wait to find out who this tiny person is. It's just, oh. I don't know. It's funny how you get even more excited, I think, at now that I have a five-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old and then this new one on the way, I have just an even more excitement to get to know who this person is because I have experienced the just wild excitement and fun of figuring out who the other two are. And every day yeah. they change and every day they shift. And so getting to just watch them and see who they 
are becoming every day is the most fun thing about parenting to me. And, and so getting to have another one is, you know, here we go. So why not? I mean, it's a global pandemic just to have a baby. I have a feeling guys. Now this is, this happened before this was not a pandemic baby. That being said, I think two things are going to happen out of this. There are going to be a lot of pregnancies and there are going to be quite a few divorces. <laughs> and so you can yeah. just decide what route you're like going to take. You're I like that you're opting for the pregnancy, yeah. not the divorce. That's, that's well, let's hope on. it's not pregnancy, then divorce. No. Let's hope it's not. No, I oh, think yeah. uh, let's, let's just stay on the path. Well, Ian, this was so wonderful. I'm really happy that you were here on the day that I was going to share this news. And we've wanted to yeah, have really. you on the podcast for a long time. And we kept saying, you know, we got to have Ian on the podcast. And then it just became clear to me that you were the perfect person to have this conversation with. And so I was really excited that, that you were going to be here. Well, it's sweet. And I like the fact that your accidental news is proof of another wonderful saying, which is humans plan and God laughs. laughs. So that is very, it's a good reminder about all our plans and that we can get through this together. We, we may not be able to be together in presence, but we can be together in spirit. And that's what we need to work on every day. Isn't that true? Amen. I love it. Ian's book is How to Pray When You're Pissed at God. And he's got a new book coming out. When, Ian? Well, the publisher, like everybody else, is kind of shut down. So it was supposed to be dropping in August. But like a lot of publishing houses, they put a pause on everything. So it may be September, but it'll be about uh, it, the exact title is not secure, but it's something like Moses, the first millennial. <laughs> and book about leadership. I love it. I love it. We'll have you back to talk about the book. That's so good. All right. If you're enjoying this podcast, I want to come back on with Jay. Oh yeah. I want to we, be could, Jay. we could do let's, a double date let's podcast. Do that. I think that'd be fun. That would be very exciting. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Did you find one, Marjorie, from Justine? From Justine, she said, I enjoy this podcast so much. I really like the variety of topics. It's like a podcast version of my favorite magazine. <gasps> Great work. And I, Justine may not know this, but I think that's like the greatest compliment we've ever gotten. It's Both you and I are magazine lovers. Junkies. We love magazines. <laughs> so that's why I pulled that one today. Made me smile. So thank you for that, Justine. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest or go to besttothenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League.
Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.